start working with her, building the numbers and planning it better and turned out to be a good decision because I got almost double than the first offer. So it was really a good decision. And that yeah. was how like I planned it. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven-figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Do you want to grow your Amazon business bigger or faster? I bet you do. If so, a free audit of your Amazon business can help you see and avoid threats and find some golden missed opportunities. Generally, I charge at least $150 an hour these days for my time, but this is free. You can be a reseller or a brand owner. All I ask is that you're doing at least a few thousand dollars a month in sales. If you are, just go to myamazonaudits.com, scroll down, click on Amazon Audit and book in a time and we'll see each other on a Zoom call. That's M-Y-A-M-A-Z or Z-O-N. A-U-D-I-T dot com. Thank you very much for listening. And I hope to see you on a call soon. Do you want to grow your business bigger and faster? A free audit of your Amazon business can help you see and avoid threats and find missed golden opportunities. I generally charge $150 or more per hour, but this would be free. You can be a reseller or a brand owner. All I ask is that you're doing a few thousand dollars a month in sales already. Just visit myamazonaudit.com, scroll down, click on Amazon Audit, and book in a time. That's myamazonaudit.com. Look forward to speaking to you on your audit. Ladles and jelly spoons, boys and girls, welcome back to the 10K Collective Podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. Today, we're talking to Toma David of Source and Monster. Toma has built and most importantly, sold a seven figure business in the Amazon space. And that's what we're going to be discussing today, the whole experience of that sale. Plus, he has a channel, Sourcing Monster on YouTube, showing the latest things that work as a seven figure Amazon seller. So Toma, welcome to the show. Good to see you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me, Michael. It would be a pleasure to talk about how I sold the business. And I know that's the topic of it. And we might have uh, two episodes about that and how I prepared for the sale and how I prepared for the day after. So yeah, <laughs> that's some interesting stuff to, to talk about. Preparing for the day after is a very, yes, it's something we're going to talk about in the next episode. I think that's quite unusual that people actually prepare for it. Though, if you think about it, logically, of course, you should. I guess it implies you have enough faith it's going to happen in the first place. So We've kind of skipped over the idea that you built a business and even that you're going to successfully sell it. And we skipped forward to the part of the movie where you actually going through the process of selling it. So first of all, one question that comes up a lot of the times is why even bother selling your business? Surely if you've got a profitable business, you want to keep it forever, right? So why did you personally decide to sell a business? What was behind that for you? Yeah, the, the main reason was, to be honest, that uh, I, there was uh, too much risk. As you know, selling on Amazon, it's an inventory business. That means that you constantly need to feed up that animal with more and more and more inventory. And maybe on the paper, on the numbers shows that you make hundred uh, some some months. I had more than hundred k profit a month, 
And I didn't see it in my bank account. I didn't see 100,000 like, okay, I'm taking them and, uh, you know, celebrating. It was constantly taking that money and paying suppliers and paying for, you know, freight forwarders and paying for all those suppliers. And yeah, of course, the, the, the more money you make, you, you, you should see a bigger chunk in your bank account. But it was starting to become uh, riskier and riskier. I had a lot of inventory by Amazon. I had a lot of inventory, especially when you import from China, your cash flow is really bad because you have like inventory sitting in the sea. You have inventory by Amazon. They are holding money for you for two weeks. So cash flow is not really the name of uh, this game. So there was a risk for me, you know, I would, you know, put a lot of money in inventory and a lot of money inside Amazon. And I knew that, okay, I can sell it for a good, you know, number and just remove that risk and just start again. That was the thought. And that's what exactly I did. So that was the idea behind it. You know, maybe if I had more money or reserves on the side, maybe I would keep it because it was, you know, a good business at the end of the day. But you know, that was the decision that I made and I'm happy with it. And now I'm building and having another seven figure business on Amazon that I feel that I have or look at things a little different now. It's uh, going to be interesting to talk about how you look at things differently once you, you're on the other side of it. Um, but that's a, a very good point. So too much risk. And I'm getting the feeling also that not enough cash in your personal bank account. Is that right? You wanted to see some actual money. You wanted to see some actual money in my hands, all that money, because again, it was, you know, we were selling well, we had the good profits, but at the end of the day, we didn't really see it in the bank account. So that was one reason. Second reason, of course, with all that inventory and all that money that was involved, you know, there is a risk with Amazon, you know, you depend on them and one day they can shut you off or have any, like, you know, it's not your, you, you don't have full control over the process. So. The, the, that's also a big part of why I sold it, just to remove that risk. That makes sense. And I think it's interesting that people have different ways of trying to mitigate the risk of selling on Amazon and the, the control that Amazon has over our lives, our bank accounts, our stock, our entire reputation online. And one of the ways that people get obsessed with is to set up a Shopify store. And maybe that's good, maybe not. As far as I can tell, and I'm not an expert in that skill set, it is a different mindset, a different skill set, right? But one of the things you can do is simply take everything off the table and then go again using the same skill set, right? Which is interesting. It's obviously right. your choice. So tell us a bit about the process of, of the sale then. Obviously building a business is one process. What were the steps in the process for you of the sort of leading up, let's say 12 months leading up to the actual sale event? The process was that I, from the beginning, I don't know where I heard that, but from the beginning, I kind of prepared the business to be ready to be sold. If that's like uh, organized SOPs or hiring people and having like everything ready to a day that when someone comes to buy it, it's easy to transfer the business. I didn't know that uh, I had a lot of more work to do, you know, other than just planning it like that. But that was the original thought. I think I heard it somewhere just to build it like in, in an organized way. And then I got, you know, an email from a company that were interesting to buy my business, I didn't plan to sell it. I didn't put it out there. I just got that, you know, offer from them and offer from Terracio. And, you know, there was one uh, aggregator that actually sent me an LOI, like letter of intent that they actually wanted, they showed the number. And I was like, wow, that's, that's really nice, you know, offer that they put there. And I was like, okay, I'm ready to sell. And then I showed it to a friend, a colleague of mine, you probably know her, Sharon Evan, her name. Mm. And she, she told me, look, Wait, just talk to another friend of mine, Elka Billy. 
And she she's a broker. She have fortunate if you heard about them. Then they have the it's a brokerage firm that specializes in selling and helping sellers to sell their Amazon businesses. And she looked at it and she said, "Look, it's a good offer, but I think based on what I see that if you wait uh, maybe a few months, you could get much better offer for your business." And I actually listened to her. You know, I declined that declined that offer and came to start working with her, building the numbers and planning it better and turned out to be a good decision because I got almost double than the first offer. So it was really a good decision. And that yeah. was how like I planned it. But that's like, it took me 12 months from that moment to actually work on the numbers, organize our PL reports, shift a little bit our focus from, you know, launching ton of products to launch less products and focus on more profits. That was the direction of what we did from that point. Excellent. So there's a certain sort of lead up to sale where you focus on the trending 12 months profit. So I don't know if they're still buying in such a naive way, but the aggregators were at one point simply obsessed with the trending 12 months earnings, right? Nowadays, I would imagine that perhaps a more sane acquirer would look at trending three years because like one year is not a whole future. But was it really all about the trending 12 months when you sold or did they care about any of the previous years? They wanted to look at the previous years and I had good solid two years before. So I, I could show that the, the trend was always up like the first year, the second year, the third year. And I also showed them that there is more potential by having few ideas in the pipeline already like kind of ready to launch. So they got it as a kind of a bonus. And I suggest that anyone that want to sell, don't stop with the product research. Don't just say, oh, okay, like in a few months, I'm going to sell. Have some products in the pipeline. For two reasons. One, aggregators and buyers look at it as a bonus. It's something, okay, there is more future. There are more products in the pipeline. They can, we can right away launch. And second, which is more important in my uh, uh, opinion, is for yourself. Let's say you don't sell it. At least you're not kind of falling between the chair, you know, like your chairs and you're, you have some plan B. You can actually launch those products and move on. And I think more importantly is the mindset when you know that you have those products in the pipeline, you come to negotiations with much more confidence. You come and you say, you know what? I don't need to sell. You want to sell? You want to you wanna buy it? You want to give me a good offer? You got it. You don't? I have alternatives, you know? So you come strong, you come confident, and that's how I actually negotiated. I always told them, I want to sell. I think you're good, you know, buyers. But at the end of the day, nothing will happen if I'm not selling, you know, I'm going to be happy as well. And that was also, that was my mindset, you know, if it doesn't go, if I don't get the offer that I want, even though I really was like wanted to sell, nothing happened. I know it's a good business and I will keep operating it and growing it to a point that a, a good buyer will come. Yeah, it's great mindset. I, I've heard a lot from quite a few people that they ended up. I'm struggling with the juggle between the process of selling, which obviously involves a lot of data, depending on the size of the business and talking with a lot of potential buyers or different brokers or whatever you are, and then they haven't, you still got to be running your business. How did you manage to balance your time between those two tasks? Yes, it was not easy, but you know, I prepared myself strong because I heard a lot of people that went through this experience of selling and I was prepared that it will be a busy period or a busy time where I will have to jump on a lot of calls and do a lot of things at the same time. But I think that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good with prioritizing my tasks and I kind of only focused on, you know, the things that were matter, anything that was really long 
long term or longer uh, <clears throat> uh, planning was kind of put aside. So, you know, I didn't really feel like a crazy shift or change in my workload because I planned it well. So, you know, I was prepared that it's going to be hard. I really prepared for the worst, but it wasn't that worse, you know? So really? it was yeah. kind of easy for me. Wow. So that's not a common statement from people who saw the businesses normally say it was a really huge amount of work. I wasn't expecting it. It was a shock. Maybe because you'd listen to other people go through that difficult thing and you're naturally maybe an organized person. And I remember one thing that was tough. The last week of the due diligence, just before we signed up the contract and, uh, you know, the final document of the sale, I was actually in, in Austria in a ski vacation. Uh, with my brothers and uh, I remember like, uh, okay, we have a meeting at that time. And I was like telling them I have to go in the lift down to the, to the hotel to, to talk with, with the buyers. And actually, actually I didn't tell my brothers that it was with the buyers. I had a meeting. I told them, I didn't want to say to like, tell anyone that I'm selling only after, you know, everything is closed. I, I told people and I went down to the hotel, like talking to them, like it, it was uh, kind of, you know, busy and weird, but it, you know, I was able to manage it even on vacation. So it's all about planning. Like if you plan it right, if you just, you know, take things in, like in, 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 with, with the, with planning it, it should be much easier. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. You're obviously a very structured guy because you were thinking from the very beginning about creating SOPs. So. One thing that strikes me actually is that if you're going to have time to add to preparing to sell your business and have those conversations and send those documents, as well as running the business, if you're already working 80 hours a week to run your business, you're not going to be able to do the other stuff, right? So I guess you'd organize the business so that it wasn't driving you crazy just to set, run it day to day. So tell me a bit about your thoughts in the beginning. You already mentioned that you were going in thinking that you had to be ready to sell from day one, which is great thinking on paper, very few people do that in practice. So why do you think you were able to do that and other people struggle with that? I don't know about other people, why they struggled with that. But I think that if you just do it step by step and plan it from the beginning, I knew that it would be much easier for me than do it all at the end. And at the end, by the way, it was also a lot of work. So I imagined to myself, what would happen if I didn't plan that? And when I yeah. plan that, it's just being organized. Like, let's say you get a, uh, a freight forwarder invoice. Instead of just skipping it in your email, just download it and save it to Google Drive to an organized folder. It just take a minute. But imagine that you have to do it at the end and you do it for like hundreds of invoices. That's going to be a lot of work. So I, I, I looked at it from a perspective of working less or not having a lot of stress. So I just kept doing what I need to do at, at every single point. And I knew it's like, you know, organizing your house. If you wait for everything to be a mess, then it's much more stressful and take much more time than if you just finish the cup of coffee, just put it in, you know, in the garbage or whatever. So yeah. it's all about that mindset of just doing what you need to do now and not wait for later to postpone it and, uh, you know, procrastinate kind of. I like your house metaphor. It feels very doable. Like you drink the coffee, you put the mug in the dishwasher. It sounds like every conversation I've ever had in a boring corporate environment. I like people see leave rude notes on the, on the kitchen in every business I've ever worked in. Put your cup away. There are no magic elves. So it's the same mentality, being neat if you like. So apart from that though, I guess that there are certain key things you've got to organize. So you talked about SOPs, hiring people. What were the other things you think that made it easy to transfer your business that you put in place from the beginning that other people should put in place? 
Do you want to grow your Amazon business bigger or faster? I bet you do. If so, a free audit of your Amazon business can help you see and avoid threats and find some golden missed opportunities. Generally, I charge at least $150 an hour these days for my time, but this is free. You can be a reseller or a brand owner. All I ask is that you're doing at least a few thousand dollars a month in sales. If you are, just go to myamazonaudit.com, scroll down, click on Amazon Audit and book in a time and we'll see each other on a Zoom call. That's M-Y-A-M-A-Z or Z-O-N-A-U-D-I-T.com. Thank you very much for listening and I hope to see you on a call soon. I think that uh, th those are the main things. Obviously, you need to build a great asset. You have to build a great product and be profitable. And those are just the side things, you know. You can just focus on those things. The main focus was obviously being successful, showing numbers. But if everything would align and, and would work, then it comes to play all these other stuff. But the other stuff was kind of, you know, part of uh, the, 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 the mentality or the strategy. And didn't really require a lot of thinking and, and, and other than that, to be honest, uh, I was focused on just hiring. I also knew that hiring and having the SOPs would not just help for a sale. It also helps me my day to day operations. And in case I'm not going to sell, it's also good for me. So it's not just that I did it just for, you know, sell it. It was also good to a good structure, allowing me to scale faster. So hiring people, having SOPs was very, very handy when someone left. I would just plug them into the SOPs and just got new person without having to train them all the, like again. So that was not done just for sale. It was done also to operate the business and scale it. So it wasn't something that I was focused on, you know, my day to day. Okay, what I'm doing today to prepare for a sale. It was in, in the back of my head, something that I do anyway, like the, like I told you with the invoices, preparing everything and mm -hmm. SOPs and all of those stuff. And my main focus just was growing the business. That was my main, my main mm -hmm. focus day to day. That makes sense, but it doesn't sound like it was a division. You just were professional from the beginning. And I guess uh, one other thing that strikes me that's worth us quickly talking about is this. You mentioned, well, obviously I wanted to be profitable. It's all about the numbers. Now that does sound obvious to me as well, but I know from my own experience and, and some people are out there building businesses that are really creative people, but they're not great with the numbers. What would you say are the essential disciplines around profit and loss or numbers measuring that people have to have in place? I think that this skill came to me from my previous career, kind of. So I started my Amazon business because I was, you know, I was, I was involved in a family business. We had, you know, a jewelry and diamond business factory in New York. I moved from Israel to New Jersey, but we had an office in the, in the diamond district in New York and a factory, a small shop and, and. I was mainly measured by numbers, by profits every week. It was a family business. I was a partner, but not a majority partner. And, and my brother was my boss. Every week we had a meeting and the only thing, not the only, but we would just look at metrics. We would look at numbers and we did it for years. We worked together 10 years. So every week that was our focus. Numbers, 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 numbers from each channel, from Google, what were the numbers? From Facebook marketing, what are the numbers? From SEO. What are the numbers? Every channel, we would just track the numbers and just operate based on that. So our next week goals were kind of derived from those metrics. So it was kind of built in, I guess, in myself to just focus on those things and profits. And I took it with me to Amazon. 
So I think those those are the things that it really helped me a lot to be organized and, and, and focus on profits a lot. Excellent. Well, I guess most people aren't going to be able to go and work for your brother for 10 years in the Diamond District. The things I'm taking for that is you got into a rhythm with meetings. You were very, very focused on numbers. You use the numbers to guide next actions. And then also, crucially, there was somebody holding you accountable, literally your brother in this case. So it sounds like for a lot of people, they're in, an, in a more abstract situation because they don't have somebody holding them accountable in the sense that they're either working on their own or their business partner or them. And maybe neither of them are very experienced in business. Is there a way that you think that people can reverse or sort of create a situation that is somewhat like that for themselves if they don't have your background? Yes. With the new Amazon business I'm involved in, I joined a friend of mine that started an Amazon business as well. And after I sold, I told myself, okay, what's the easiest way to come back to the game? Just partner with him. It was a win-win for both of us. For me, it's saving me time developing all the product line. And for him, he can really take my experience scaling and growing. So what we do in this business, we also have these weekly meetings, same thing. And we go over the numbers. But if you don't have that partner or someone to go over the numbers, put a recurring task for the beginning of the week that will remind you to go over the numbers and prepare tasks out of those numbers or preparing an action list of things you're going to work on based on those numbers. So for example, you could see a product that was performing very well. So you want to understand the next task would be maybe ordering more inventory. Maybe like you can easily take tasks and things that you can do to really improve it and make it better. So it, I guess it comes to discipline, you know, whether you do it with a partner or with yourself, you need to be disciplined enough to make sure that you do it every week. There's no magic pills for that. I guess not, but I, I have to say that discipline often comes, I think self-discipline can come from an external experience that builds a habit. You're probably naturally very disciplined person anyway, I guess, but you certainly come across that way. But I guess having done that routine weekly for many years, it built it in. So that's, it's really one of the things I'm taking away really, because for you, it feels very natural to be structured, but trust me, most of my clients are not like that. So very good, very good example for us all to follow. Well, look, talking of having somebody to help you out, sometimes having discipline on your own, it can be hard and it can help to have a mentor as part of the, the mix of people around you. So I know that's something you offer. What other services do you offer um, e-commerce folks out there, Tim? So I'm mainly focused on being a seller and also operating the YouTube channel where I share content. I also offer like a course that, that I shifted recently, not just a traditional course, but also like a weekly Q&A so they, people can actually, you know, ask questions. I feel that's something that is missing in a lot of courses where they have the knowledge. The knowledge is out there. You know, you can go to YouTube, even in my channel, I have like a course level content for free. But how you actually connect and take action. I think that's the missing piece in, in the puzzle for a lot of people. And I know that you also help a lot of sellers with that. So it's something similar. I just uh, offer the course, the training, the way that I did and do things. And then people have access to me and can ask questions and, and me helping them taking action. Sounds really good. And as you say, I think that the key is action. You're very much a man who's very focused on taking action. You seem to find it pretty straightforward, which is great. So you can pass on that common sense and wisdom to people. And if people want to get hold of you, either to work with you one-to-one -one or for your course, which sounds good, 
what's the best place to go? Is it just sourcing monster.com or where else would they get you? Yeah, they can check sourcing-monster.com or check the, the YouTube channel, Sourcing Monster. They can see some videos and uh, get a feel of what, what I share there. Uh, recently, I check a lot or, or got involved a lot with AI, how I mm-hmm. can actually make more content using AI. And, you know, in the last month, I'm able to produce much more content, like everyday content. And that's great because it's great for people because they get more knowledge, they get more content. And for me, I use the same kind of effort. So yeah, they can check the videos there and see if they like it or not. I'm trying to really share things that are up to date and recent in my business, like case study that I just did recently about how I changed some creatives in ads that led to really increased CTR and decrease in cost per clicks. Things like that are really cool for sellers because they can actually implement and do the same thing in their business. Well, that sounds very practical stuff. So it's sourcing-monster.com and you've got some good testimonials on there as well to reassure people, but you clearly know what you're doing. As you say, in the end, people who can get you to action are valuable people and you're definitely one of them. So thanks for sharing. That experience, I think the next thing we're going to talk about in our next episode is going to be what you do after you sell your business, which in my experience, quite a few people who sold businesses hadn't thought that through at all and they struggle a bit. So an interesting episode coming up, but for the moment, Toma, David of Sourcing Monster, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. You're doing an awesome job. Do you want to grow your Amazon business bigger or faster? I bet you do. If so, a free audit of your Amazon business can help you see and avoid threats and find some golden missed opportunities. Generally, I charge at least $150 an hour these days for my time, but this is free. You can be a reseller or a brand owner. All I ask is that you're doing at least a few thousand dollars a month in sales. If you are, just go to myamazonaudits.com, scroll down, click on Amazon Audit and book in a time and we'll see each other on a Zoom call. That's M-Y-A-M-A-Z or Z-O-N-A-U-D-I-T dot com. Thank you very much for listening and I hope to see you on a call soon. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.